0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradio.network.org.
1: This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com/better to learn more.
0: If you're involved in hospitality, then you have, or maybe you should have read, Danny Meyer's Industry Guidebook to Success, Setting the Table. One of the things you'll garner is the importance of understanding a neighborhood and of building a group of restaurants with easy access to one another. Our guests today may have flirted with Manhattan Expansion at one point, but found their second restaurant calling was the neighborhood they've already settled in.
1: Our guests today are Chris McDade and James O'Brien, the owners of Popina and the new Gus's Chop House in Brooklyn. Chris is originally from Georgia, just like myself, and then he found his way into Union Square Hospitality Group Kitchens in New York City. And we also have James, who is also a USHG alum and who manages the front of house operations and the beverage program for the group. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks for being here. Congrats on your newest venture. Um, I thought it, I, I liked the little pitch we got from your PR team about it being a European chop house because that's a new one to me. Can you tell us what that means?
2: Yeah, I think there's. I mean, there's plenty of examples of what an American steakhouse is. Whether you know any 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 big city or small city in the country, it's you know it's kind of expense accounts, big cuts of meat you know, large seafood towers, and we love all of those things as well. But I think the European chop house is more of, you know, it's kind of smaller, neighborhoody. Uh, they do focus on the meats. Not all of them are the prime cuts that you would expect. Some of them, you know, are a little bit more, I guess it's more fun for the kitchen team, and it also brings some value to the customer. And it's just a little bit more laid back, more of an emphasis on vegetables and uh, seafood as well as the meat
1: awesome. Sounds delicious and fun. And I like the idea of a laid back chop house or steakhouse. What does that mean in terms of like affordability and approachability to people who are like, oh, steakhouse automatically means it's really expensive and I need an expense account to go there and all those kind of good things.
2: No, well, that's important to us as well. You know, it's Popina. We kind of built our brand on uh, being value driven, you know, and part of that was because it's uh, the kind of places that me and James like to hang out of. And part of it was we're on a stretch of road in uh, Brooklyn. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's far from any subway. It gets super cold down here during the winter. And so we knew in order to sustain ourselves, we were going to have to really lean into the neighborhood. And so we've been fortunate enough to do that. And when we decided to open another restaurant and keep building our community in the neighborhood, uh, we knew not only would they expect that from us, but also we want to we want to have restaurants where anyone can come. You know, we don't want it to be some this whole fancy get dressed up, go out to eat. Uh, we we just prefer like, oh, it's a Wednesday night. Let's go, you know, have a good glass of wine and sit at the bar and have a small steak and a salad. Take us back a little
0: bit to um, you've got Popina. How do you know? How do you know it's time for another restaurant? How do you know you're ready for another restaurant? How do you? How did you sort of approach um, that's that stepping stone? Because that's a big one.
2: Yeah, I mean, if, if James tells it, I'm always ready for something new, you know, and it kind of <laughs> drives him. It drives him a little crazy. Um, no, but I think we st- we started thinking about it uh, maybe two or three years in, and we thought about it not only to itch, you know, scratch another creative itch, but to also, you know, continue our own growth and 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 the and the learning that comes along with that and. You know, it's, you don't, it's just about sharing ideas, I think, with not only me and James and our staff, but also the community and the people that, uh, you know, support us and come and eat here. Um, but yeah, maybe James might have a different angle.
3: <laughs> I've been trying to hold Chris off from doing it for five years and I just <laughs> I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, no, we're, we're just excited to, um, uh, I don't know, maybe it sounds. Maybe it sounds like lame, but um, it's like kind of like when you know when you know you're ready, you you kind of know you're ready. And there was a lot for us to learn at uh, at Coquina. And It was five years of kind of building and making mistakes and throwing stuff against the wall and see what worked or uh, what didn't work. And uh, I think uh, the last couple of years have taught us um, a great sense of community as we kind of. Um, Reevaluated our business and did all the 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 pivots and the you know i I feel like we opened up five restaurants in the last uh in the last two years uh, because we opened like a market a wine shop uh, a fast casual and like all this within the walls of of popina and so i think once we kind of got over that uh hurdle um we were we we had this great sense of uh cooking for and being like a center within the community. And, you know, I thought, we thought it was a great opportunity to just kind of continue continue feeding them and building that, you know, building that community. And, you know, um, Gus's Drop House is just a six, seven minute walk away. So we're, we're, we're not only building new regulars, but we're continuing to feed people who love going to Popina as well.
0: How do you keep, how do you keep Popina doing what it's doing while you know exploring and and building and conceptualizing the new place
2: yeah it's funny it's funny you say that because we i mean for obvious reasons we haven't spent too much time at for service at popina Um, we are fortunate enough to have some great people both in the front and the back that are able to you know not only steady the ship but keep pushing it forward and some of the best compliments we can get it when people we either see them on the street or they come into to Gus's and like, man, we had dinner at Popina the other night and uh, it was just as good or better than it's, it's always been, you know, and you kind of take for granted. Sometimes I was standing in the kitchen at Popina uh, towards the end of service and it's the, the kitchen is much small, Everything's smaller at Popina than it is at Gus's, um, but it just, it is so efficient and <laughs> everything runs smoothly and it, I mean, it runs smoothly with, within its own divots that it has uh but you just yeah you just you forget how I guess it's easy it was easy for me to forget how great it was
3: not being in it every day but yeah I mean the um uh, the kind of Chris's point uh, we sometimes I think we're we by not being there and not um you know we we have full confidence in our team and we have a, a amazing team but I do think that sometimes the, sometimes the, the restaurant we joke about that the restaurant probably operates well, well, better when we're not there because like, we want to like, we have thoughts on every aspect of every, everything that goes on. And, um, sometimes I think, um, I think sometimes it thinks could just get less complicated when we're not there. And, uh, and people could have like an amazing, an amazing experience. Um, Without that, you know, two two of the owners kind of trying to think about or overthink every situation. So, um, so luckily, we just we just try to surround ourselves with good people, and and we have to trust that they're you know they're bringing the hospitality um, to the neighborhood.
1: You gotta love it to leave it. You gotta step away. I think sometimes. Um. So tell us a little bit about how, so it took five years between the two spaces and, or between the two openings. What, tell us about the, what, when you guys started with Gus's and, um, and how long the process and all that kind of good stuff took.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was pretty quick. <clears throat> I think we, when did we sign? James? March. Sometimes the end of March, and we were about to go into our fourth week. So we were able to turn it around pretty quickly without too you said many. At
0: least March of this this spring.
2: Yeah, Whoa.
0: that's fast. That's so really just,
2: fast. Yeah, I mean we did the same. I mean, Pina there was a, a small hiccup that pushed us back, but um, yeah, when that free rent stops, stops, starts to run out, <laughs> you, you, you figure out a way to get food on the plate real quick, you know, and um, yeah, it was. I mean, we've been fortunate. I I gotta say because. I mean, you guys hear stories of people opening up all the time, how it doesn't go smoothly or how this happens or that happens, and people can be pushed back, you know, weeks, months, even years.
0: I know it was a a restaurant space before, but tell us a little bit about what you, given that you did it so quickly, tell us a little bit about what you did to the space to turn it into Gus's.
2: What what did you have to do? Yeah, so we kind of, we, we basically stripped it down from the inside in the dining room, and kind of left it that way. So some of, I think some of the inspiration came from St. John's in London where it's like this stark white room. Um, And so that's easier to do than, you know, lots of artwork or fancy painting. And we also have a great group of contractors that we've known over the years that that were willing to just come in there and do whatever it took to get it all put together so upstairs we didn't do too much you know we we went into the berkshires and got some new tables and chairs that we really liked uh we had a guy charles that did some woodwork for us in our at our private dining space redo the bar and some nice tables um you know changed out some toilets and sinks some new kitchen equipment and that's about it
0: permitting and liquor license all smooth and part of the
2: yeah i mean james could talk more about this but uh, i've But we, I think we just had to get like a temporary liquor license to hold us over until the real one comes through.
3: Yeah, I guess one of the um, one of the great things that happened in the last year was the. I don't even know if this was like a new thing with the temporary license, but uh, I think people started utilizing it more, and um, we were advised by our attorneys that you know we could have a pretty quick turnaround on that and. It was like one of those things that kind of held us up in, with Popina. So I was uh, like on that. It was like my number one priority for like us to make sure like uh, liquor license, gas, electric, like all these things were um, in good order. So
0: we is had the temp to- license like a like a catering license almost?
3: No, I mean, it's so basically we were able to have a temporary license um, with like it being like a transfer. Uh, the restaurant that was there before us was this Alsatian spot called La Segone, and um, they they went out of when they went out of business, their liquor license was still active. So we basically transferred their liquor license into a temporary until we get our like our full one. But like we can operate. Um, the only thing that's different with these temporary liquor licenses is that. Uh, you have you don't get like the great terms that you do uh, with the with your with your vendors. So normally, if you have a full liquor license um, or like just like a regular liquor license, you could have you know uh, thirty day terms. So you know in the opening, you could essentially buy liquor on credit, right, and um, and not have to pay until the end of the month. But uh, with these temporary or transfer license, you actually have to you have to pay like COD. So you, so, but there's also like a little loophole that allows you to get terms if you have another liquor license, uh, another active liquor license, with like um, the the principals um, or the ownership structure is similar. So we were able to get terms based on popina. So um, interesting. And this is all stuff. You did you do this research on your own, or this
0: is a liquor license attorney that? This is the first
3: time we're hearing. you in on this, this is a hot tip. I mean, we have, a we have a lot of, um, a lot of friends, a lot of, uh, like we spent a lot of money with our liquor, liquor license attorneys. <laughs> probably that's probably the budgeting that always gets, uh, fucked up the most. Um, it's always like, Hey, we, this is, this is what happened the last time we used these guys. So they'll be similar, but then it's like, you know, $20,000 more. And you're like, what happened? <laughs> um, Ten hours. and, and it's probably asking questions like that, but Luckily, you know, um, in the grand scheme of things, uh, that money spent is hopefully if we got to open up a month earlier or two months earlier, it kind of pays for itself, right? So, um, and we just have like a lot of good friends within the industry um, and they, they're very patient and um, they answer a lot of our questions. Uh, uh, so, shout out to everyone who's helped us along the way, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really, like, I. they're the first ones who've come on the show who said that they were able to get a temporary liquor license, so that's a hot tip for anybody who's opening soon, and also, I mean, and just to your point about the credit versus having to pay up front with the temporary one, it's, again, you're weighing it off, like, lost revenue for not being able to open, you know, X, Y, Z months sooner, so I think that makes so much sense. Um, So speaking of revenue and and the cash outlay for that, tell us a little bit about how you guys are financing, growing your your little budding hospitality group.
3: Yeah, I
2: mean, we're fortunate enough that a lot of our investors from Popina uh, continued the ride. And we also, I mean, we offered uh, all of our investors at Popina the right to come in, uh, not only because it was – in our operating agreement, but also it's just the right thing to do to just keep the people around you that believe in you. And some of them did, and some that were like family and friends, you know, just weren't in the right right place. But we also had a fair amount of regulars that were interested in, uh, in investing in Gus's. And so, yeah, I think it was just, you know, it's just we spent five years, and, you know, James is better at this than I am of just cultivating these relationships and. Uh, keeping people happy and keeping them coming back in that <clears throat> the first time it was raising money was the hardest thing to do. It was, it was like hard to ask for money, especially if you never have money. It's like hard to ask for money. It seems so impossible. And then the second go around, uh, you mentioned we, we, you know, we flirted with doing something in the city. We raised a lot more money there. And then so when we downsized, uh, it really wasn't much of an issue.
1: Did you guys, did you guys have pressure from your investors to open the second spot or was this really like, you felt like the timing was right and you went to them and some of them were like, oh yeah, we're in and, or, you know, how did that, that all come about?
2: Yeah, there wasn't really any, you know, there, we never had pressure to open a second one uh, from any of the investors. You know, they were, they were all happy with Popina. Uh, It was more just the pressure I think we put on ourselves or maybe that I put on James to keep stuff going and, uh, open another one. And when we decided to, yeah, they all wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, again, we're just, we just, you know, it's a, it's a blessing.
1: And that we hear that, you know, frequently that like regulars end up bankrolling people and, um, are becoming investors. How did you guys start sharing the information that you were you know, wanting to open a second place and, or did people start asking you, tell us a little bit about how, how those conversations went.
3: Jay. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm, uh, I mean, I agree with Chris that, uh, op- uh, raising money for Popina was not as easy as, uh, I thought. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very open about, uh, about money things. And so, I, I have no problem asking people for money or talking about money, especially like, you know, um, I, I, I always thought it was like weird even like in selling wine, right? It's like you're, somebody comes in and they want to buy a bottle of wine off the wine list. And, you know, for me, it's like one of the first questions I ask is, what do you want to spend? And I don't know why that why that's become such a weird thing because it's like, I think that's almost like, more important than like what like what do you like in wine? Because yeah, I have very expensive taste, but that doesn't mean I want to drink. I could afford to drink Grand Cru Burgundy every time. So, um, so uh, I, I I I was behind the bar. I was behind the bar and uh, just everywhere um, at Poquina. So I have a lot of interactions with uh, the regulars, and you know, you would see how much money they they spent on wine or you would see you know where they lived because I would you know during the pandemic I was able to like bring wine like you were able to sell wine kind of like a wine shop so there were some days where I would like go to hand deliver Cases of wine to like some of our regulars. Brownstones around the corner. <laughs> like, this is a nice house. Have nice like you ever
1: thought of investing in a restaurant i <laughs> mean <Yeah.
3: life. laughs> like, we could actually run a restaurant within your house, no problem. <laughs> uh, so, um, so I, I, don't know. I think we, we just um, there, there's these. Um, I think there's the people who, who like, like going to the restaurant, and then they, they kind of love the community that like we've built and it's not necessarily about the it's not necessarily about like the the money right it's like everyone everyone like has like a you know uh they you know maybe you want to invest in um i don't know blockchain or whatever it's like there's there's other ways to like make money stock market or this or that like restaurants are Traditionally, like one of the riskiest investments yeah, ever. There's a lot um, better ways to make money than yeah, without a doubt. There's a lot more to it, yeah. So I think you just kind of like you you uh, you're you're able to sense people's like energy and like sense of community and like and that's why they they, they just want a place to where they could go and you know tell their tell their friends that they're investing in a restaurant or be able to come get a glass and. And like maybe the bar, maybe the staff has like a little bit closer relationship because like they know that person. And um, and then when you start sending people checks and 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 then you you know like that that's even better, right? So if you could kind of provide that sense of community plus start paying people back, then it's a win win.
2: Yeah, just to just a piggyback. I mean, you guys know this, but people that invest in. Like, most of the people that I invested were, they would have invested no matter what the concept was, right? Because when you invest in a restaurant, it's more about investing in the people than what the restaurant concept itself is. So, uh, yeah, I don't, like, we could have opened a hibachi spot on Court Street and people would have invested, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> restaurant number three. Yeah. Can you no, give I us don't. an idea of how many, how many investors you have? Just a ballpark? Uh, what is it, seven in this one? Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: That's yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all the same people from Popina that have gone into Gus's?
2: Yeah, it's either Popina investors or regulars from Popina. Love it, awesome.
0: And did you involve them in the in the conceptualization or the build out or any of that part of the process?
2: No, I mean, we're, some of them are like you know, architect or in design, and some of them think lighting is important and noise for others, and. You know, plateware for others, and um, but no one really. I mean, they would share their input and their thoughts, but no one had any ideas that that's the way we were going to do it. You know, it was just more of just them wanting to lend whatever their expertise was, and you know, a lot of times we take it, and sometimes you know we thought we knew what the best direction to go was, and. <laughs> Now it's super loud in there, and we're trying to figure out how to make it quieter. We're
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, we need more soundproofing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it happens. You want it to be boisterous. It's always a good vibe.
0: Exciting news for restaurants. Bento Box and Clover have teamed up to provide even more technology for a better hospitality experience.
1: With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever.
0: BentoBox's website, marketing tools and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money and engage diners in person and virtually.
1: And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience.
0: With BentoBox and Clover working together, Restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond.
1: Bento Box and Clover—the
0: right recipe for hospitality.
1: Visit getbento.com/better to learn more.
0: That's getbento.com/better.
1: Shall we go on to order fire?
0: Sure.
1: Yeah. So we like to do ten questions, and we approximate as ten minutes. We try to make them. Nice and fast. Um, We ask these to everybody. So I'll kick it off. Favorite menu item?
2: For me, it's the, it's a chicken that we do. It's a whole bobo chicken. So that's head on, feet on, slow roasted. And then the whole thing goes in the deep fryer to get like this crispy, glassy skin. And we serve it with a French onion jus.
3: James? Um, I think I'm kind of feeling the uh, pork porterhouse. I feel like uh, yeah, it's just um, I think sometimes uh, when people think of a, a chop house or um, or the American version of the steakhouse, it's like they always go um, they're always thinking like beef, right? But um, we have a couple pork dishes on the menu, and I really like the porterhouse right now. Well, most ordered menu item, Whew, the, hash hash brown.
2: Hash brown. the hash brown. Yeah, hash brown. So. <laughs> It's like we, we kind of took the technique from David Kinch where he shreds potatoes into oil and slowly brings it up while he's doing it. And then we cut them into little rectangles, deep fry them. Then they come out and they get like the seasoned creme fraiche with some smoked trout roe, everything, spice, a little bit of herb garnish. Yeah, everybody gets that.
1: Every table. This might be the same answer. Best food cost item.
2: Uh, french fries. French fries. <laughs> yeah there you go uh,
0: tell us something you're doing to make um, the business more sustainable
2: well we t- well a lot of this has to do with the cuts of meat that we're using um, I mean obviously we use I mean we sell ribeyes and strips but we also sell like coulette and tri-tips flat irons lamb loin chops uh, from a food perspective and then from to keep it sustainable for our employees you know we do things like offer a 401k match we have a wellness plan we just started implementing we pay people you know very well um because it's like without your people you obviously can't do it so we try to keep them happy which keeps us happy which keeps the customers happy and you know that's how we try to do it
1: I'm curious, you're the, actually the second person that, um, and I forgot to ask this on last week's show, that mentioned that they have all these extra employee benefits that I think were not there two years ago. So I'm curious if you're using a specific service or if there's something, you know, how you guys are able to provide benefits to everybody.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's not that easy, obviously. Any benefit yeah. comes at a cost of the bottom line. Um, but we don't want to grow in a way that's, you know, unfair, or unsustainable. Uh, to use your word, but, you know, the 401k, it just, uh, we set it up through our accountants, but we use this company called Gym Pass, which is basically an app. And so the restaurants pay a specific amount of money each month, and then the employees can opt in at a, whatever their tier level is. So say at like the basic tier, you get access to whatever, a dozen wellness apps, one uh you know therapy session a month and then access to planet fitness and crunch for twelve dollars a month and then if you go up a little bit more more gyms and studios more apps it's just you know it's not only mental but physical
1: yeah awesome gym pass that's a good hot tip like giving the practical
2: information <laughs> well tell us uh worst building or developing moment we're in the middle of it right now actually so. <laughs>
1: So built out. Oh, no, what's happening? We are Gosh. built
2: out and we were, yeah. we were okay until, so basically we heard one thing from the city and then when our company came in to look at it, they were like, nah, it's uncomfortable. So basically we have to replace the hood and all the duct work.
1: No, uh, are you going to have
2: to close? We're gonna, It's going to take about four or five days, or we're going to do it the week of Thanksgiving. Ah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not cool because it's cost a lot of money. But I think part of it will be good because the team will, be have, will have been pushing so hard up to that point. So to give them a few days off to go see their families or, or whatever, sleep on the couch and eat cheeseburgers, whatever they want to do, uh, well, it'll come at a good time. So, so the fire department or something came in and said this is in the wrong plot or the DOB? No, the FDNY basically came in and said, look, you need access panels and you need to paint it, which we already knew. We had to do the same thing at Popinta. And then, so we sent pictures to the company that we've worked with at Popina for a while. And then we've also had three or four other companies come in. And basically, the, the ductwork is not welded, which means it's they basically put like this epoxy glue where the different pieces of the ductwork connect so grease can leak out if it wants to. And we're also screwed into the ductwork of a restaurant down the block, which is... <laughs> uh, no good. Here. It's like we're a whole mess. We're trying to figure it out.
1: Oh, my God. Well, at least they're yeah. letting you continue to operate in the interim.
2: Yeah, well, it depends on when this podcast comes out, if we're going to be compliant or not. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: can hold it if you need it. <laughs> <us.
2: laughs>
1: um, tell us your most influential role model within or outside the hospitality industry, Jay.
3: Oh, man. That, um, I mean, we had we uh, were lucky to have a lot of great great people uh, working throughout the Union uh, Square Hospitality Group. Um, so a lot of a lot of role models there. Uh, but I think at, at a very you know if it's my kind of uh, forever role model, it's probably probably like my, my mom. Um, she's always um, I think I got a good sense of hospitality from her uh, growing up. She was just always always like. In the kitchen and welcoming uh, all my friends, uh, all my sister's friends, basically cooking for um, the less fortunate um, through, you know, um, through like programs, um, just other like outreach programs. But um, she always used food as like, um, I I guess, like uh, to, uh, as like a form of like nourishing people and um, both like, you know, both physically and kind of soulfully so um, so probably, probably her and um uh yeah a good a good italian mom good italian mom exactly
2: <clears throat> yeah i think sorry i mean this might sound a little cheesy but i think i have a four-year-old son and i think if i could see the world the way that he does every day it's, it would be pretty good so i think he's yeah, and he inspires me to be more childlike every day and not take myself or the restaurant so seriously. Those are both very good ones. All about family.
0: Um, tell us your best business resource and advice when building that. And that can be website, that can be a book, that can be a person, whatever.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it was the... So the first group of investors we got with Popina. there were some restaurant people in there, but there was also lots of friends and family who would have, you know, whatever, given us money for anything. Uh, and in that group, but as well as this group, we have, you know, a lot of people that their business, their job is to invest in startups or it's to build out, you know, with acoustics and decorating Mm -hmm. anything from small restaurants to Carnegie hall. And so just to be able to lean on them for little tidbits of advice, uh, has been an in, indispensable, I think.
3: Yeah. And I think, I think to that also, there were, you know, before, before Pokina happened, just like people that uh, ended up taking our, taking our phone calls and, and giving us an opportunity to, uh, to even like sit in the same room as them uh, and like, you know, just get any kind of advice, like, and that's any, anyone from, you know, um, one of our friends, Adam Reese, to um, uh, Joe, Joe Calabrese, know, Joe Calabrese, who's like in design to, um, Keith Durst, um, you know, who, who I remember having some, uh, you know, uh, coffee with at the nomad and being like, oh man, this guy like talks to, you know, he's like putting deals together for like, 11 Madison park. And like, basically like the, who's who of the restaurant world, like, why is he talking to me? And, um, and just getting advice from people like them, um, on things that we haven't done or did do, um, kind of made all the difference. And, um, you know, big thanks to all them. And then everyone who, you know, the list is too long to, to, to name, you know?
1: Totally. Um, Tell us one thing that you would tell a young chef or owner about the path to ownership.
2: Uh, well, expect the unexpected. And then if it is, if you're planning on going into culinary school, just use that money to travel through Europe and stage and then come back. Cause I think you'll get a lot more out of it. I
3: think it's, I think for me, it's just, like you have to like love this more than anything else, and then, um, and then like if if there's any doubt on how much you love, uh, what you do, then don't do it because there's so many, you know, uh, five years in, um, you know, we've obviously gone through a roller coaster of, of ups and downs, and uh, and you know, I think Chris and I, I, I hope I could speak for him, but like. We, there's nothing, there's nothing other, nothing else we'd rather be doing. Uh, We, we love what we do and we love bringing people together and we want to continue, continue doing that. And, um, and, and, and yeah, it's, uh, it's very easy to get super frustrated or super down. And, um, and I think you, you need that like kind of unconditional love that like, you love it when the floor drains are popping up, you love it when (laughs) you're, you're getting recognition, you know, like, you have to love it all the time. Yeah, and I would also say you have to
2: surround yourself with people that will let you be a maniac about it, you know, because there's a lot of relationships that, you, that you'll cut out of your life at one point or another, uh, which is a sacrifice to make. But um, just to surround your people with, you know, the same way that you love the restaurant business unconditionally that will, you know, support you no matter what.
0: All, all great advice, guys. Um, we usually wrap up the show by giving a little shout out to anybody that has recently uh, opened or is planning to open. Anybody in your neighborhood or in your network? Uh,
3: a buddy, a uh, buddy of mine, a buddy of ours uh, just opened up uh, Claude in the uh, East Village. Our friend Chase and Josh. Um, we also have. Uh, Crew. crew in Williamsburg, um, from uh, Ome and the team. Um, some of the team behind Fish Cheeks. Uh, crew, that's that's our neighborhood. Where's Where's that? North Fourteenth Street. All right, we'll check it out. Yeah, right, right by right by the gutter. Cool. We will check them out for sure.
0: Uh, tell us last before you go. Tell us where we find Casas um, Popina on uh, social website, all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, Popina Popina NYC. Gus's is, is Gus's Chop House. And then James is Ob's World. And mine is Always Anchovy. Always Anchovy. Easy to remember.
0: We are uh, at at NYC and at We Are Opening Soon. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate um, hearing about Gus's.
2: Yeah, thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you.
1: Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by Hugh. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.